Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast, presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, today we've got more news to talk about. Um, uh, some changes with the running back situation, and I'm not going to lie, it's a, it's a bad thing. Um, so, yesterday, on Friday, uh, Ramon Jefferson, the running back who was a stud at Maine, Went to Sam Houston, was a stud at Sam Houston, All-American there, and uh, committed to Colorado to play his senior year in January. He announced that he was decommitting. Um, so, goodbye to Ramon Jefferson, and hello to a bunch of questions about what this backfield will look like. Um, the, the kind of corresponding move there was that Colorado decided to bring Anthony Hankerson on campus this fall. So, Anthony Hankerson is a, I think, three-time state champion at St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, the the high school in Fort Lauderdale, and one of the very best high school football programs in the country, starting running back, uh, three state championships, uh, some awesome numbers to go along with that, and uh, the, the plan was for him to gray shirt this season which means he shows up on campus in January so that he doesn't count against the scholarship limit and also it doesn't count as a year of eligibility this season. Uh, and like I said, plan has shifted. As reported by Justin Guerrero, I should say. Um, the plan has shifted, though, and Anthony Hankerson is going to be a part of this running backs room. Uh, there's a chance that there's another addition still. Uh, they, they still do have one scholarship open, but I'd be pretty surprised if they add another running back, just considering they have other needs, you know? Um, you know, you'd expect maybe another defensive back would probably make some sense. Um, I, I really do think that's probably where they go. Who knows? Maybe they add in the trenches. We'll see. Maybe Maybe they do add another running back. As of now, though, there are five scholarship running backs on the roster, as well as a couple of walk-ons, notably Charlie Offerdahl, who had a couple of touchdowns in that spring game, played really well, just like he did in last year's spring game. He's a redshirt freshman. Hey, he now has a chance. He now has a chance. You know, there's. I spent a little bit of time last night thinking about it. If... If if this if, if Charlie Offerdahl turns out to be like a movie story type deal, this is uh this is the path, right? 
Like you blow up in the spring game when you enroll early as a walk-on. You blow up in the spring game again as a redshirt freshman. The offensive player of the year in the conference transfers out. They get an awesome replacement, who we'll talk a little bit more about in a second. And he decides to decommit. And, and he decommits so late that the Buffs don't really have the chance to add another uh, really, uh, how would you say it, just, just experienced, um, proven running back. The door is open. The door is open. And maybe that's the world we're living in. Maybe it's Victor Venn. Maybe it's Hankerson. We'll dig into all of that today. That's the plan. Um, but I do want to start by talking about the, the the two running backs in the news yesterday. Uh, and then the potential for a transfer. And then we'll kind of get down into like the, how, how will these carries be split this season. And that'll be kind of the second half of the show. And we'll dig into some of these other guys. Um, starting with Ramon Jefferson, who is no longer planning on attending CU. I'll say that when I heard the news, I was, first of all, very surprised. And uh, then pretty quickly afterward, I found myself watching some some highlights of Ramon Jefferson. It's a shame they're losing him. It's a real shame they're losing him. Um, you know, there, there's the rumors going around that he got the Tennessee offer. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that we know that for sure. Um, again, whenever there's an SEC team that, that swoops in and picks a guy up like this, if, if that's what happens here, every time you, you think about the NIL deals, you think about the money and wonder, like, is that... Is that what happened? Is that what happened? But regardless, um, again, I mean, the fact that Tennessee wants him for for one season means that he's he's a pretty solid back, right? You know, going back and watching, it's just crazy how many tackles he breaks. And again, they're FCS players, but I mean, uh, some of that has to translate. You know, is he breaking four tackles on on plays in the Pac-12? Probably not. But is he breaking one or two? there's a real chance. Um, I think that he would have been a really good fit for what Colorado needs right now, um, which is a guy who can break tackles. You know, if if the blocking is not up to par on a given play, you're he's a guy who can, who, who can take advantage and still turn that into a productive play. And there's a chance that there's going to be some plays where the blocking is not up to par. You know, going from 0 to 100 from last year to this year in terms of that offensive line, it's unlikely. It's unlikely. Um, so, you know, Ramon Jefferson, he has the home run hitting ability. He has the tackle breaking ability. I mean, there's a reason he was an All-American. There's a reason he carried his team to uh, an FCS National Championship, made it to the semifinal this year. That was a really good football player. I think there was a real chance that, I mean, it would have been a battle between him and Alex Fontenot for the starting job. I I would have had my money on Jefferson winning the job. Um, and I think that whoever wins that job probably winds up being the offensive MVP this season, you know, just because you expect the passing game to be at the point where, first of all, the quarterback can be the, the MVP or also that, that the quarterback can put a receiver in position to be the offensive MVP. And so I just think the easy bet is whoever the starting running back is good chance offensive MVP this year. And I think there was a good chance that was going to be Ramon Jefferson, um, it is a really big loss in my mind. It is a really big loss in my mind. Um, and we'll go. We'll get into replacements later. And I mean, to hint at this now, I mean it's a really big loss. But if one of those four guys turns out to to be a good football player, 
there you go. You know, it's not like he can't be replaced. It's just that you're banking on Deion Smith or Jaylee Stacks or one of these freshmen to to really step up and and, and punch above their weight. You know, take a step forward if you're Jaylee or Dion, or just be ready to go at a young age if you're one of those freshmen. Speaking of the freshmen, as I mentioned before, Anthony Hankerson is coming to Colorado. Um, 0.86 something recruit according to the 24/7 Sports Composite. He, uh, I think he could have been graded out a little bit higher, honestly, and going back and watching him. I think there's a lot of factors that play into all of this, obviously, but even just coming out of St. Thomas Aquinas High School, you, I mean, the expectations are high. I mean, what was it? They've had 30, 30 guys they put in the NFL since the turn of the century, the most of any high school in the country by a wide margin. You bet on the guys from that high school. That's just the way that it works. And and going to that high school doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good football player. But combine that with the production he had as a three-year starter at running back, um, winning multiple state championships, three state championships while he was there. There's there's a lot to 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 like just on that surface level, you know, just on that surface level of looking at the numbers, look what he's come from. Look at the fact that, you know, Geno Atkins and LaMarcus Joyner and Giovanni Bernard have all come out of that high school recently, you know? So, surface level, again, the, the upside's obvious. The upside's obvious. When you dig into the tape, I, I, I there's there's plenty to like there as well. Um, he's 5'9", 190, so not a big back by any means. Again, he's a freshman. You expect him to get up to 5'9", 200, 205 at his peak. Who knows? Maybe he's somebody who wants to be 215. Maybe he's somebody who wants to be 195. We'll see how that all plays out. Um, and the reason it's kind of tough to project is because he's a really well-rounded runner. You know, he's he's fast. He's not he's not like Tyree Kill, like, oh, boy, here's somebody that you really got to, you know, but, but he is he is fast. He's a fast running back. Um, he seems to have good vision, um, at least solid vision. You'll see if, if that plays up, you know, even on, even on some of his touchdown runs, you're like, yeah, there was more space if you went to the left instead of the right, but you can go to the right and and still be successful because you're so talented. So you you do see a couple of those, but I think for the most part, solid vision at the very least that, that maybe you can, you can coach up quickly uh, for a month before the season and get him ready to go. Um, there's, there's a chance that he's, involved um like I said well-rounded has kind of the speed has the cutting ability that sort of stuff I do think his strength though is is the contact balance um there's there's plays that look kind of uh honestly like Alex Fontenot-esque where you know he's he's kind of stumbling a little bit but but the tacklers for some reason just bounce off of him um it's hard to see that and project it to the next level, because a lot of the time you look at it and you say like, ah, it just seems like, you know, Noah Sewell up at Oregon, he probably just brings you down there. At the same time, if, if that bouncing off of guys, guys bouncing off of you really does translate, well, then you really have something here to, to work with and, and probably to work with early. So I think that's going to be one of those big questions. You know, we probably won't get to see him ourselves too much in, in fall camp in August. But if we did, you know, is is he breaking tackles here? Because if he's breaking tackles here, 
that should that that's a good sign because that's the piece that he needs to be successful this season. Along with, you know, just solid vision, which I think he already has. But, you know, if you take that up to good vision, that'd be great. Or if maybe the talent is making up for some things at the high school level that, that maybe you do need that to take up a bit too. But, you know, I, I do think that that's a well-rounded back. Um, and, again, there's going to be opportunities. There's going to be opportunities for Anthony Hankerson this season. I should say, um, so like I said, three-year starter at St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, as a starter, he had 3,551 yards from scrimmage. About like 3,300 of those were rushing the ball with 250 or so. Um, receiving, obviously, averaging 1,200 or so yards from scrimmage. Remember, shorter seasons in high school as well. Um, and, I mean, they're playing a national schedule, so that's pretty crazy too um 45 touchdowns as well so averaging 15 touchdowns a year as a starter 6.6 yards per carry three fumbles in three seasons we'll see we'll see like he's a little bit undersized for for what he likes to do um at this point and again he'll put some put a couple pounds on there's a decent chance that you know that the speed turns out to be the strength or just the, the, the shiftiness turns out to be the strength. Cause you see some of that too. Like he can make guys miss in the hole. He can run guys over a little bit. Um, I think that a lot of that is just an understanding of angles and know when it's time. Yeah. Angles is the right word. Cause cause it's angles plus like the momentum of players. It's like, Oh, this guy's coming this way. Oh, I can glance off him. This will be kind of a glancing blow. If I just hold up a little bit or angle myself this way or, or always oh, doing this. Well, guess what? I can take one step to the right and have him fly by or one step to the left, throwing a little stiff arm and sticking behind me. There is some, uh, some creativity when he has the ball in his hands, you know, it seems like with some of these guys, you look at them and it's, it's kind of like a foot race. It's like, Oh, is the blocking there? It's like, okay, well, here's somebody. He can either juke or he can run somebody over. He's just going to run somebody over every time. You know, Hankerson has the potential to be a, a really good back long-term um, just just because he's a kind of a do-it-all guy. Um, and in the short term, who knows how it plays out. If, if he can just break a couple tackles. You know, long-term, long-term, he should be a great pair for Victor Venn, who we're going to talk about soon. But those are the two true freshman running backs who are going to be on the roster this season. Again, we'll see how that all plays out. Um, but long term, if if Hankerson's kind of your every down back, and then Victor Venn's coming in on third downs, get, using that speed, you like the balance. You like the balance. But we'll we'll expand on Victor Venn. We'll expand on a bunch of these guys in a second. Real quick though, Wana's fastest sleep optimals are exactly what you need to help you get to bed. You know, I, I think a lot of people really struggle falling asleep. I think everybody goes through phases, right? Recently, I've been sleeping great. So I guess not to make you guys feel bad if you're actually interested in the set. But um, yeah, uh, you can get the one of Fast Asleep Optimals. They are 20 to 100 THC to CBD. So they're mostly CBD that helps you get to sleep. They throw a little bit of melatonin in there as well. But there is some THC. They, they've perfectly formulated it to help people get to sleep. Um it's an awesome product. You know, your, your eyelids will feel heavy in 5 to 15 minutes, so they work pretty quickly. They don't have all the powerful 
like sleep aid drugs sorts of stuff in there that make you feel groggy the entire next day. Uh, so definitely get your hands on those. And you can do that at Colorado's premier dispensary. That's light shade with 11 convenient Denver Metro and Aurora locations. The Barnum location is now open. It's a block off of sixth and federal. It's the biggest light shade store with specialty products that are not offered at other locations. Uh, they'll offer something for everyone, whether you're a casual consumer, whether you're a connoisseur. They have a premium selection of cannabis concentrates, top shelf flour, edibles, tinctures, accessories, and more. Plus, podcast listeners can get 25% off all non-sale items with the code DMVR. Shop online at lightshade.com for pickup or visit a Lightshade location near you. Also, Sexy Pizza. I, guys, I tell you guys about Sexy Pizza all the time, but it really is great stuff. It's hand-tossed deck oven pizza with made-from-scratch-each-morning dough. Uh, you can choose your own adventure with all of their different toppings, or you can try one of their signature philanthropies. And what those are is pizzas that have been designed by different nonprofits from around Colorado. They've tell you they like put peppers on there with whatever else and whatever else and if you buy one of the pizzas that they designed a portion of the proceeds go to that nonprofit. So it's an awesome cause that, that Sexy Pizza has put together there. Um, and you can order it www.sexy.pizza um, or you know all the different ways that you order pizza. Uh, but they have all the different sizes. They have all the different sides. There's gluten-free options. There's vegan options. There's four locations in Denver plus a new location in Trinidad, Colorado that just opened if you're down in southern Colorado. So uh, definitely get yourself some sexy pizza. Finally, DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, the NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. And this week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win you'll get $150 in free bets if they do. If you're looking to turn a small bet into a big payday, then the best way to do that is through DraftKings Same Game Parlays. And the way that it works is you combine, you know, maybe say the Warriors are going to win. Steph is going to have 30 points. Uh, Clay is going to wind up with three rebounds. Combine all that. The odds obviously get better and uh, make yourself some money. It's a lot of fun. Plus, right now, all customers, not just new users, can place a Same Game Parlay with three or more legs you'll get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DMVR. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game. You'll get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code DNVR only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay, real quick. Our DraftKings pick of the week. In honor of the the Nick Saban Jimbo Fisher drama, we're uh, we're looking to the future. October eighth, they're playing a game in Tuscaloosa. Alabama's a sixteen and a half point favorite. We're taking Bama minus sixteen and a half in that game. Uh, and there's your DraftKings pick of the week. All right. So into what this backfield looks like. Now I was running through some of the numbers from the last few years. Um, Last season, for example, um, obviously Jarek Broussard, your number one. You uh, you have uh, uh, sorry, Alex Fontenot is your number two, and uh, from there there were a bunch of guys who kind of got a few touches. It felt like it was mostly those two guys doing a bulk of the work, but when you look at the numbers, Jarek had forty five percent of the running back's total carries. So that doesn't factor in like Brendan Lewis running the ball or anything like that. But 45% of the time when a running back ran the ball, it was Jarek Roussard. 30% went to Fontenot. 
That means about 25% was split among, you know, Deion Smith, uh, Joe Davis was out there, um, Ashad Clayton, you know, all, all those sorts of guys. Jaylee Stacks had a handful. Um, so while it felt like, you know, Jarek Broussard, your number one, he didn't even get half the carries. Back in 2020, when he had his incredible breakout season, Alex Fontenot's hurt. I mean, it's the perfect scenario for the most possible carries. Uh, that's when Jarek had about 75% of the carries. Now, you remember, they only played six total games that season, including the bowl game, and so that sort of workload would not be sustainable, probably, over the course of a full-length season. You know, at 75%, at the most, he's, he's bumping that down to 66% if they're playing 12 games, um, like a full season. More likely, it's closer to 60%, I think. reason I think that, back in 2019... Alex Fontenot had about 60% of the carries when he was the bell cow. Um, Jaron Mangum was the number two. Um, he he had, I think, maybe 25% with the other 15% split pretty evenly. Again, that's not quite as wide of a gap probably as you know the gap between Jarek and the others in that season, but that 60% mark is probably pretty close to what you're looking at in terms of a true bell cow back. Um, so that's where I wanted to start, is just to say... Alex Fontenot is very easily in the driver's seat to be the starting running back. That's pretty clear at this point. You know, Deion Smith could challenge him. Um, the, the, the freshmen, if they come in and, and break out, they'll get opportunities. Tough to see them starting week one, though. Although, you know, if something crazy happens, they could definitely take that job during the season. Um, it does seem like right now, though, it, you probably get one to five odds on Alex Fontenot being the starter. You know, bet five bucks, I'll, I'll give you a dollar if, you, if you're right. Um, so, that's where we start. I kind of alluded to this a little bit before, but I think the big question is, what does that mean in terms of the carries? You know, does that mean he's back at that 60% mark from 2019? Honestly, that's kind of where I'm leaning. That might creep up to 65%. Um... I don't think it gets any higher than that, though, uh, unless something crazy happens. You know, if, if you go, if, if TCU comes up to Boulder week one, Alex has 20 carries for 200 yards and a couple touchdowns. Eh, maybe, maybe you do see him creep up close to that 70% mark, but, but I think it's almost impossible for back to get over that rate, which means at least 30% and probably closer to 40% and maybe even 50% is going to be split among the rest of these running backs. Um, and it's really hard to predict what that split will look like. I do think that Deion Smith has a firm grasp on the number two job, um, similar to Alex Fontenot's grasp on the number one job. I think he's probably just as in control right there. Um, now, it's the same thing where Anthony Hankerson gets five carries in week one and winds up putting up 55 yards on him. Well, maybe maybe you give him a couple more touches the next week, and if that goes well, maybe he does wind up being your number two. But to start the season, Deion Smith, like Alex Fontenot, very much in control of, of the spot that he's in. Um, for Dion to, to hold on to that role, you need to see... That's a tough question. That's a tough question. What do you need to see from Dion? Um, first of all, what's he good at? You know, he's he's really good at those stretch runs. He's very fast. 
he that's that's his very clear strength i think at this point is his just top end speed um i think that while that's the case we have seen him run physically like he's definitely not contact shy he's he he will fall forward fairly often i think just because of the style of runner now it's the style of run that that can get you in some injury trouble that sort of stuff will knock on wood as we say it but you know in the spring game there was the play where i think they lined up at the one yard line and just ran the ball to the a gap ran right over a linebacker big pop big pop and carried him into the end zone um actually i think they might not call that touchdown but definitely was something weird happened now i'm struggling to remember but um yeah, I mean, he does have that. He has some pop. You know, it's not, I don't think you can call it power. He has some pop. Um, it might just be the shiftiness that, that's kind of missing right now. And, and the vision could tick up as well. I think that if the, the vision and, and in particular, the the processing time with that vision. You know, it's. I don't think he's making bad decisions as much as you'd like to see him make those decisions a little bit more quickly. So there's there's kind of a quick evaluation of where Dion's at right now. Um, upside is a pass catcher, I should say as well. Uh, we haven't seen all that much of it, but I do think that that is something that should be an important part of his game. Honestly, um, and we'll see how that plays out as well. So there there's your real quick overview on Dion. In this new system, we don't know exactly what it will look like because Mike Sanford has worked in so many different systems. I still think it leans a little bit pro style. It leans toward the West Coast offense. And because of, of that leaning, you wind up... Uh, right now, when you're running those West Coast offenses, it, it, a lot of it is based on um, you know West Coast passing system, but then the outside zone runs, the wide zone runs. And so I really think that we're going to be seeing more of that this season. I think we might have even heard that from coaches at, at one or two points in this uh, spring. So, Dion fits that really well, the wide zone running. Um, but the idea being you, you attack the edge of the defense, you attack the outside hip of your, your offensive tackle, and first of all, you try to beat him to that edge. If you beat him to the edge, well, there you go, you're off and running. If you can make them overcommit to the outside, that's what opens up the cutback lanes. So, I do think that at a base level, Dion's traits fit this scheme probably a little bit better than what they were doing before. Now, the other piece of that, though, is that you have to recognize that that, that hole has come open, that cutback lane has come open, and you have to take advantage. And you have to cut quickly and get up there. First of all, read it quickly, cut quickly, and then you're off and running. Um, can he make that quick cut? Can he make that quick read? If he does those two things, then he, he could be in position for a breakout season. You know, like I said, he's your pretty clear number two back. Alex Fontenot's taking, let's say, 60% of the carries. Dion's going to get the the first try to take up that whole 40% of, of the carries. You know, if it winds up being 60 for Fontenot, then it probably winds up being 30 for Dion week one with a couple scattered about the rest of the guys, see if anybody pops there so you can justify. But, you know, he gets his, his first chance to stake that claim to that remainder that's left over from Alex. And because of that, you know, he has the opportunity. He has some traits that you like. It, it could be it, it could be time for a breakout junior season for Dion. Um so there's there's an overview of his situation. You know, Jaylee Stacks is na- next up. 
how how does he fit in? I mean, obviously he's best at fullback. That that is that is why you have him on the roster at this point is because he can line up at fullback and and hit guys and open holes and also be kind of a utility piece working out of the backfield um, as a pass catcher as well. So you like that. I believe that. Uh, yeah, Darian Hagen, I think, said he he can carry the ball. Like, like he can play as a tailback. And while it didn't seem like he was going to get many reps, you know, it's just pure single-back reps, now that Ramon Jefferson is gone, I think he will get some. And I, I think that they're going to really open things up early in the season. I think that a bunch of these guys are going to get opportunities And then the rotation kind of gets whittled down from that point as you start to see what's working and what's not. But I think that when you look at these running backs, who do you want out there when, you know, again, just a single back, like under center, handoff, whatever, out of pistol, whatever. I think Jaylee Stacks is probably third on that list as of right now. Um, And again, he could pop. You know, he's, he's not a fun guy to tackle. And, you know, we talk about Ramon Jefferson. Some of the value that he adds is that if the offensive line screws a play up, it might work out just fine. You know, Jaylee Stacks has some of that tackle-breaking ability that I don't think it's on Ramon Jefferson's level, and I don't think he has the quickness if he gets hit in the backfield to, oh, break this tackle, and then we're gone and we got we can hit a lane. But, you know, if he does, well, then all of a sudden he could also be a very good fit for what the, the buffs are trying to do. Um, more likely, I think, is that he gets carries out of the shotgun. Um I think we've we've seen a little bit of growth from Alex Fontenot in terms of receiving out of the backfield. Um, he wound up with 120, I think 122 receiving yards um, when he was the 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 bell cow in 2019. He also missed a game that season, so it, it's more than 10 yards per game receiving. It's more like 11 or 12. I mean, not that that's a huge difference, but. Um, I do think that he has grown in that regard. Um, still not a receiving threat. And I think what you really like is his ability to carry the ball between the tackles. Um, and because of that, if you're managing the workload, if this does turn out to be a situation where you say, hey, Alex is our best back. If we could play him every snap and not have to worry about him getting hurt or wearing down late in the season or whatever, then we would do that. Um if that's if that's how the coaches see it, instead of oh we got some good guys, they're they're all about the same. We'll throw them out there. They do their different things, but in terms of who's most valuable, eh, it could be any of them. Then maybe not. But but if he does turn out to be kind of your clear best back, you're not going to use him to do things that he's not his best at, right? Like you're using him in single back and then subbing him out, and that's why I think that Jay Lee has a good chance to to be that shotgun back. As does Dion Smith. You know, Dion has that speed, which as a receiver is very valuable. Um, but Jay Lee can obviously pass protect. He can he can catch the ball. He can make guys miss after he catches the ball. And so I do think that he's going to get a surprising number of carries out of the shotgun. Um, it'll be more than you'd expect. Um, so there's Jay Lee. Uh, from there, you go to the two freshmen. You know, we talked about Hankerson before. Victor Venn is the other. He's rated just a tiny bit behind Hankerson, but not all that much. Rivals really likes him. I think Rivals has him as the the number 19 back in his recruiting class compared to, like, I think the 24-7 sports has him like 60 or something like that. Um, 
So there is some hype there. You know, he's he's a pretty pure speed guy, um, which again, like in this scheme, can work. You need to have the vision, which I think he probably showed on tape. Um, I think it's fair to say he has good vision. Um, if, if we're comparing, I'd probably put it ahead of Hankerson. Um, obviously, receiving ability uh, as that little speed guy um, can can make guys miss. He can make guys miss, but I'm a little bit worried about whether he can make guys miss immediately at Colorado. I think long term he's going to be just fine. You know, I'm not sure he's he winds up being an ankle breaker. I think that it's always going to be his speed that stands out. Um, but there might be a little bit of that as well. Uh, does that translate early on? Does the tra- vision translate early on? How fast does he look when he's going up against uh, power five defenders? And does he... There's two parts of being an undersized back. And I think he's listed right now is... He's listed 5'10", 175. 5'8", 165, 170 might be more realistic. But I, I don't know. I haven't seen him in, in a bit. Um... As a smaller back, there, there's two pieces to to making that work. You know, first of all, does your body hold up? You know, can you be tackled between the tackles and still be be good to go, still be just as fresh, still be still be capable of doing your job to your best ability after taking a couple hits from linebackers who could be close to twice your size? Um, so that's a part of it. The other part is the mental aspect, right? You know, knowing that you're that much smaller, knowing that you're running between the tackles at defensive linemen and linemen who could just wallop you. And again, he he totally he totally had that mental side in high school, but doing that at the power five level is different. So you need to see him be pretty fearless. You know, I think that Dion has come a long way in terms of just being fearless. Like he will run head on into somebody much bigger than him even if it doesn't seem like good things will happen. You know, does Victor Venn have that? Because we know that he's not going to win many of those matchups. You know, he's not he's not much of a tackle breaker. He, he has a little bit of shiftiness. He can make guys miss a little bit. Um and you hope that that either translates or ticks up a bit uh, over his time in Boulder, but it'd be tough to believe that he's going to be a real tackle breaker at Colorado. And again, that's what makes him and Hankerson kind of a nice pair down the road. Because Hankerson can do all the work between the tackles. He can make guys miss, and he can break tackles. Guys just seem to fall off him. He has the good vision. He, he makes things work. And he has the versatility to keep you honest, too. He can stretch the edge. He can catch the ball a little bit out of the backfield. There you go. Third downs, though, throw in Victor Venn. Let him run out of shotgun. Um, when, when you have some bigger running lanes, some zone run out of shotgun, outside zone run out of shotgun, he should be great. Um, and then also catch the ball a little bit. I think if you let him catch the ball a little bit out of the backfield, there you go. And so that pairing makes a lot of sense. For this season, you have a couple questions. You know, first of all, what kind of back do you wind up needing? You know, if Alex Fontenot is your number one, you're probably looking for a third down back. You know, and because of that, does that give Victor Venn a bit of an edge? Potentially. Potentially. Um, Hankerson again though might just be more physically prepared to play at this level immediately Uh, I think both will get opportunities and we'll just have to watch and see how that all plays out Um, but but what is needed and then also just who is ready those are the two pieces here so so to kind of answer the whole question what does this backfield look like oh and I should say 
hey, you do have Noah Hubbard and Charlie Offerdahl. There's there's a couple guys who could wind up factoring in as walk-ons. You know, Charlie Offerdahl had a, a great, great spring game, just like he did last year when he should have been going to prom. I think. Yeah, that's right. That's definitely right. I think that's right. Um, but uh, a little undersized, still pretty quick, definitely fearless, can break a tackle, can be a little shifty because of that that fearlessness. I think that kind of opens him up a little bit. You know, he's he's not playing scared. He's he's not focused on oh no, am I going to get hit? He's focused on how I how do I get by this guy? And when you're an undersized back, that's a big part of it. Um, you know, ask Phil Lindsay about that. You know, yes, he he has other traits that are good. You know, the shiftiness is good. The burst is really good. He can break some tackles as well. He has great contact balance. None of that matters if he doesn't play as downhill as he does. You know, that's what that's what makes all that stuff work. And Charlie Offerdahl does have that that mental side of the game figured out. It's just can an undersized running back be that productive? And I bet I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if at some point this season he gets some touches. I think that if you see a blowout in one of these first few games, you're gonna you're you're gonna see Charlie Offerdahl get a toucher there, touch or two in there. So I'll say that as well. Um my prediction for the for the rotation, and and the way I thought of it was this. These are numbers that are kind of averaged across the course of the season. You know, it's not game by game, what does it look like, but just like in general, what does it look like? And assuming everybody's healthy and assuming like you're not like taking out garbage time, taking out when you throw a Charlie Offered all out there just to see what happens. But just what what in this base form does this rotation look like? I think Alex Fontenot gets about 55% of the, the carries. Um, that, that might be a little bit low um, considering it was at 60% in 2019. But I do think just the way that this backfield is built, there's there's plenty of guys you want to get touches to. And and maybe it's a little bit optimistic since we're talking over the course of the season. You know, when we say, like, you want to get Victor Van touches. Yes, you absolutely do. But by week three, you're going to know a lot more about Victor Van than you do now. And you might not still want to be giving him touches. You know, so I do think that long long term, this might be a bit optimistic. But we're going with it. Alex Fontenot at 55%. Um, Deion Smith at 25%. I figured that was a good number. I think that's that's pretty similar to what uh, Jaron Mangum got when Alex Fontenot was the bell cow in 2019. That's part, kind of what I based that off of. Um, now again, if, if he plays really well, that number's easily going up to 30%, to 40% even. Um, but while I'm going with 25%. Um, Feels like a pretty middle-of-the-road answer, which is what I was going for. Uh, Jaylee Stacks, I'm at 10% of the carries, and that's probably where I went a little bit bold. Um, you know, it might make more sense to make that 5% and give another 5% to to Alex Fontenot, but I'm I'm, old, I'm bullish on Jaylee Stacks right now. I have 5% each from Victor Venn and Anthony Hankerson. Um You know, it, what does that mean? That means if you if you run the ball 40 times in a game... They're each getting two of them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's like, yeah, I, th- I think that over the course of the season, that balances out. Now, I don't think, I think it's more likely Victor Venn gets four than they each get two. But the next week, probably Anthony Hankerson getting four. So over the course of the season, it kind of balances out. Um, so that's where I'm at. 55% for Fontenot, 25% for Deion Smith, 10% for Jaylee Stacks, 
5% each for Victor Fan and Anthony Hankerson, with Charlie Offerdahl probably getting a couple touches um, late late in games that are already decided to see if he pops. And obviously here I, I bet on him not popping because, you know, I mean, he's a walk-on. There's other options. However, bet, betting against walk-ons always kind of feels just a little bit scary, you know? Because um, then you... You know, is the, is that clip going to be be looked at three years ago totally differently? Who knows? There's some upside there for sure. Um, real quick, is there a chance they uh they they bring in a transfer and that changes everything? I think there's definitely a chance. I think that there's definitely a chance. They they do have that one scholarship left open. Um, that that could be going to somebody currently on the team. Honestly, that'd probably be. I think it's 50-50. That's all I'll say. I think it's I think it's 50-50 that that scholarship goes to a, a walk-on currently on the team um or it goes to a a a player. Now, if they if they give it to somebody in the portal, I think that there's maybe a uh Let's go 60% chance it's a defensive back. 20% chance it's offensive line. 20% chance it's a running back. I think that's that's where you stand. And the the reason why I'm struggling with the running back is just because there's kind of like surprisingly few of them available. I mean, I guess you could go through and and find find options. But I mean, obviously if you're Colorado, what you're looking for is somebody who can play right now. And ideally, somebody who, like Ramon Jefferson, could play this season and then be gone and you wind up with an open scholarship for next year and you can kind of move along to this next group of guys. And, you know, if, if nobody pops, if you want more, then you add somebody else from the portal next year. I think that'd probably be the 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 best option. Um, you're not looking for somebody that's like, oh, yeah, he didn't really play all that much, but you know, maybe we could unlock him because you kind of, you have, you have potential. You have unproven guys around. Um, and because of that, there aren't, uh, there aren't a lot of, of options who are proven. You know, there's the, there's a guy from BYU who, uh, was, was kind of a rotational guy there. Um, Andrew Van Buren from uh, Boise State, like he's a big power back. He's like 250 pounds and and got a bunch of their goal line work. Like maybe maybe you could see the value there, but with one scholarship left, I'm not sure that's the answer. There aren't a lot of proven backs, guys who have experience, which is what's lacking, and that's why I, I'm I I don't think they add a running back. I don't think they add a running back. Um, although I mean. They're definitely in a situation where you have to have the conversation, right? Are, are we ready to go into this season? Well, knock on wood for saying this, but what happens if, if Alex Fontenot gets hurt? You know, say you're missing him for, for just one game. Are you happy going into a game with Deion Smith, Jaylee Stacks, the freshman, Charlie Offerdahl? I mean, you're, you're asking a lot of the running backs this season would be our, our guess in terms of how the offense is kind of structured and... and what could go right. So that that's a there's a concern there. I th- I think there has to be a concern there. You know, this isn't um this isn't 
an elite running back group for sure. You know, I haven't I haven't looked too deeply into the depth of other Pac-12 running back rooms. I'd have to guess though that Colorado's a bottom four running back room, bottom three running back room. Again, for a team that that struggled the way that it did passing the football last year, that's concerning. Now, again, Victor Venn breaks out, Anthony Hankerson breaks out, Deion Smith breaks out. All of a sudden, the the picture can change very quickly. Um, This is now a, a massive question mark, right? Whereas before, it felt like the running back rotation was pretty much settled. Like Ramon Jefferson, Alex Fontenot, either one could be the starter, but they're both probably picking up about 40% of the carries and 20% getting split between Dion and Jay Lee and, and maybe beyond there, a couple guys get reps. Um, now, now you... Uh, the, the competition for the number two running back job, that's, that's big. And the number three running back job is, is even wider. I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunities. And to be totally honest, the most fun thing to happen would be Victor Venn or Anthony Hankerson putting up some big numbers, winning the starting job, and making a name for themselves late in the season. And if that's what happens, all of a sudden you feel like you have an identity for the next couple of years. You know, if, if say, Anthony Hankerson is a 1,000-yard rusher this season, which, again, if, if you were trying to make that bet, you'd, you'd get pretty good odds on it. Um, then you, you go into next season saying, okay, we got Hankerson. Now can we build around that? You know, you know. so we'll see. I do think that this is going to be a fun group to watch. It's going to be interesting. I think there's a lot of guys who are really easy to root for. But what it's going to look like, it's up in the air. And I don't even think the coaches know as of right now. Uh, so uh, I think I think there's there's our update on the running back situation after Ramon Jefferson transfers out. We learned from Justin Guerrero of Rivals of CU Sports Nation that Anthony Hankerson is going to be on campus this summer. Whew. We'll see. We'll see. We needed more drama. We were short on drama. So this is a <laughs> ideal world we're living in. Um, that's going to do it for today. Go Avs. And uh, don't, don't watch Ramon Jefferson highlights. They'll just make you sad. Uh, I'll, I'll see you guys on Monday.